take your Bibles and turn to the book of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah. If you ever come in and I'm not prepared, I know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to go out with the junior church kids. Well, it's good to be in the house of God. Years ago, I was at a little country church and I went forward and prayed and an old timer got up next to me on one side and said, hold on, brother, hold on. Another old timer came up and got on the other side and whispered in my ear, turn loose, brother, turn loose. I didn't know whether I was coming or going. Well, one person understood the joke. I need to work on my jokes. All right. We're looking at Jeremiah. Jeremiah, this is a little mini-series. We'll conclude next week, uh, wrapping it up. Last week, we looked at Ezekiel. This week, Jeremiah. And we know how much these prophets loved the holy city. And Jesus loved the holy city, didn't he? He cried out, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I tried, how I tried to reach you. And that's a paraphrase. But we know these guys loved their city and it broke them to see what happened. In fact, Jeremiah, we'll learn next week, was called the weeping prophet because he cried so much and wept so much because the city was destroyed. He prophesied for 41 years, right up until the day of destruction, from 637 to 586 B.C. And then he was deported, taken captive, and carried off into Babylon. Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 5 and 12. We'll stand and read. That's the custom here to do that. We're going to stand and read these two verses, and then we will uh, pray and look at Take a look in the book for a walk in the world. Jeremiah 1, 5. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. And then in verse 12. Then said the Lord unto me, Thou hast well seen, for I will hasten my word to perform it. I will hasten my word to perform it. God bless us as we take a look in your book for a walk in this world. Lord, I know I've studied and I know I've prepared my heart, Lord, and I know you've prepared the hearts of the people today. Lord, this next 30 minutes or so, we pray for you to just reign in this room, to have total control of our hearts, not only what I say, but how we receive it. And for us not to be hearers only, but to be doers of your word, to be obedient And God, we just pray for your blessing upon this hour, the preaching part of this service. Bless now, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And of course, we've used that verse, Jeremiah 1.5, to defend the right of the unborn. We'll look at that briefly today. That's not the point of my message, but we do know that we are living in a day when our country is sort of like Jerusalem. We love other gods, we're living wrong, we're immoral, and God's not happy. Jeremiah was one of nine Jeremiahs in the Bible, eight other Jeremiahs, and his name means appointed of the Lord. I, my oldest son, who's in mission work on the reservation in South Dakota, that's the name we gave him, Jeremiah. And Jeremiah lived at the same time as Zephaniah and Habakkuk and prophesied at the same exact time. But as other great prophets, Ezekiel and Daniel was one of those who was deported back into, or carried away into Babylon. And when Babylon came in in 586, they scattered the Jews into 100-plus countries. And in 1948, they came back. We know that. And established themselves as a nation. And they'll never have to be scattered again. The Bible says when they come back, they'll be there to stay. 
But we do know that they're going to be attacked by the whole world and none will stand with her, so America will not protect Israel. Guess who will? Jesus will. He'll come back, he'll protect them and set up his kingdom. Jeremiah is a type of Christ in many ways. He was under the bondage of Babylon like Jesus was under the bondage of Rome. He never married. He was rejected. He was falsely arrested and persecuted. He wept over Jerusalem. He was called a false prophet. He predicted Jerusalem's fall and he emphasized the heart of man. He came during a time when people talked so much about the outward. But he uh, cared about the heart, and he talked about the heart. In fact, he quotes Jeremiah in chapter 7 when he talks about the heart several times in the New Testament. His prophecies are concerned by, excuse me, confirmed, going too fast, by archaeology. We know the Lacious letters and the Babylonian Chronicles, two documents that have been found, confirmed his existence, confirmed his writings, and confirmed what happened to the nation of Israel. We know his first scroll was burned. And he had to rewrite the scroll. And he was persecuted and under arrest, could not even deliver it to the temple because he was forbidden to go there. So he sent Barak, his secretary, there. Now, he did start prophesying under the reign of Josiah, a good king. But still, he was immediately uh, uh, treated badly and cast out as a prophet. And the professional prophets were, of course, accepted by the temple. Hananiah was lying, and Jeremiah said, your prophecy is false, and you'll die as a result. And he died as a result. And Jeremiah is one of those prophets that lived to see much of what he prophesied fulfilled in his own lifetime. Telling a prophet he would die, and telling Jerusalem they would go down in defeat. We know there are 21 I am's in Jeremiah. Seven in John, 21 in Jeremiah. Now, if you read the book through, it's not in chronological order. He presents it by themes and topics. Several key words. One of the key words is the word repent, found 11 times. Another key word is the word backslider, backsliding, found 13 times. And then finally, 41 times we find the word return. Because he concludes giving the people hope that one day they will return to the land. Isn't that great? There's hope in all prophecy. There's hope in the Word of God. The hope is in Jesus Christ. Israel has already returned, and one day Israel will be saved. 144,000 will be saved. So there is hope, and so he gives that hope. In verse 1, it tells us he was a son of Hilkiah. Hilkiah was a priest in the line of Aaron. A priest in the line of Aaron. And we know that uh, he, he was uh, his son uh, from the tribe of Benjamin. And we know he, Jeremiah prophesied of the seven years of captivity. And, and, of course, he told them that Babylon would invade, and they indeed did invade. We pick up now in verse 5, and we see, first of all, the providence of God. I love this. We've already read it. He says here, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Isn't that something? Before I formed thee, I knew thee. I like what Daniel says in Daniel 4.25. The Most High rules in the kingdom of men. Jeremiah's announcing that Israel is going to be destroyed. And God would allow for Nebuchadnezzar to come in, now Pelesser probably, then Nebuchadnezzar, and destroy Israel and rule over them for 70 years and be captive, be slaves. And the prophets and the good men carried away. God would allow that. Why? Because God rules in the kingdoms of men. God would punish Babylon and one day restore Israel. But God is in control. 
even of Jeremiah's birth. He said, I form thee. I like what he said about Paul in, in, Je- in Galatians 1. He said, Paul, Paul said, I was set apart before I was even born. I, I like Samson, who, a theopony, that theos is God, and appearance is, it's an epiphany, it's a, an appearance of God. God appeared to Samson's mother and said, you'll have a son, and he'll be set apart. While he was still in the womb, God said that. And we know that Jesus was filled with the Spirit, Luke tells us, prior to being born from Mary's womb. Isn't that great that God knows us from when we're in our mother's womb? And he knew us. And so he formed, he said, I formed thee. I formed thee. Then he says, I knew thee. I knew thee. That's a pretty interesting word. It's used throughout Scripture, throughout the Old Testament, we should say. And it's a word that has to do with a really in-depth knowledge. Do you know the Bible says He knows my comings and my goings? Do you know He he knows the intentions of my heart? He knew Jeremiah that way before he was born. The words even used of a husband and a wife and their intimate relationship. It's a really fascinating word. He said, I knew you. Before you were even born, I formed you and I knew you. Then he says, I sanctified you. He set him apart. That word, that Hebrew word is translated hallowed in Leviticus 23. It's translated purified. God, God set him apart, purified him, hallowed him for his service. Then he says, I ordained thee. Now remember in chapter 20, verse 9, Jeremiah didn't even want to be a preacher. He didn't want to prophesy. I mean, who'd want to prophesy with what they did to prophets? I mean, how they treated prophets, especially prophets of God. But we know God is in control, and everything in Jeremiah's life would be part of God's big plan. Did you know in your life everything's part of God's big plan? Even little problems you have, the little issues you have, your weaknesses, your faults, your mistakes, God will use it all to bring glory to Himself. And He's in control. I love this story about Thomas Koch. Thomas Koch wanted to go to uh, serve with John Wesley in Nova Scotia. And he got on a boat and headed for Nova Scotia and never made it there storms came up, and he and his traveling companions were threatened by the sea captain, accused of being a modern-day Jonah, because they were witnessing, obviously drawing attention to themselves, and the storm comes up, and the sea captain actually wanted to throw them overboard, ended up throwing some of their stuff overboard. And the story goes on that that he and his companions stayed on the ship, and the ship finally three months later ended up in the Virgin Islands, St. John's, the Virgin Islands, over in the Caribbean. And they decided to go ashore, he and his two men, and left, left the ship and decided they, they wouldn't get back on. They weren't very welcome anyway, I guess. And they're headed to the shore looking for, they knew of one Christian man there, one missionary there by the name of uh, John, John uh, Baxter. Sorry about that. So they decide they got to go find this John Baxter because they'd have a place to stay. And they see a man walking on the beach with a lantern, and they approach him. It's Christmas Day, and it just so happened to be John Baxter. That's not an accident. And the rest of the story is they never went to Nova Scotia. They stayed on that island, and 17,000 people came to know Christ. 17,000 people. Does God make mistakes? No. 
when there's a storm in your life, God has a plan. What are you going through right now? I don't know. But God has a plan. While all things aren't good, all things work together for good. And it's not always according to our timing. I like what Ecclesiastes says. He makes everything beautiful in his time. In his time. What if God's plan is for you to suffer and to leave this world suffering all the way to death? Can you accept that? If it's for God's glory and part of his plan? You know, sometimes it might be easier to die for God than to live for God. Some people are so miserable in life and living. And yet, they don't trust that God is in this, working things out for His purpose. Not for our purpose. For His purpose and glory. And as I look at our country, and I see our country, and I, it scares me to see we're getting worse and worse. I mean, it's just scary to see that. I, I know that God has a plan for the world. Look over to Exodus chapter 21. I'll just give you this verse. I had it in my notes. I want you to have it. Exodus chapter 21 to go along with Jeremiah 1.5. And then we'll get, back to our, we'll get back to our theme in a moment. But here in Exodus chapter 21, verse 22, in the law it says here, If a man strive and hurt a woman with child, so that her fruit depart from her, and yet no mischief follow, he shall surely be punished according to the woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. And if any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life. So if this baby dies, then he's put to death. God thought so much of the unborn that he put that in the law. Now that's not our message this morning about abortion. Our message is about the fall of Israel and the future fall of America. Since America's not seen prophetically as standing with Israel, evidently something happens to America. And I believe when the rapture takes place and you take all the believers out, we will not stand with Israel anymore. I don't believe we'll help them a bit. I believe we'll jump on the bandwagon with the rest of the world and we'll need their resources. I mean, right now at the border of Syria, the biggest oil deposit has been discovered in world history. And you know, Russia's just sitting there looking at that thinking, look what Israel has. And they want that oil. And others will want their resources. Everybody hates Israel because Jesus is a Jew and so everybody hates the Jews. So throughout history, people have hated Israel. So the world will attack them, and no one will stand with them. So we know America, at some point in time, will fall. But look in verse 6. We see here a, a perplexity here in verse 6. Then said I, ah, Lord God, and notice the exclamation point. God, he says, I can't even speak, for I'm a child. He's, he's here, he's, he's claiming inexperience. I'm young and inexperienced. Remember, Moses claimed inability. He said, I can't speak either. Jeremiah, you gotta, you gotta give this prophecy and tell Jerusalem what's gonna happen to her. I can't even speak, Lord. I can't speak. I, I remember how afraid I was to get in front of people as a young man. You know, it's kind of, God kind of forced me to be in front of people. Uh, and I, I, there was a training union at Tennessee Temple called Varsity Victors Training Union, and they, somebody nominated me as, as, as vice president of the training union, and I stood up and said, I decline. That took all the courage I could muster to say, I decline. And then someone said, the 
So, well, Dan, it, it, all you do is behind-the-scenes stuff. You don't have to get up here in front of people and so forth. And I, I said, okay, I'll accept. And they ex- voted me, and the next week, the president eloped. And I said, what does that mean? Well, it means you have to get up in front of people. And you have to get speakers. I got movies. I'll tell you, I showed more movies and varsity victors than any president ever. And one time, I couldn't get a speaker, and I couldn't get a movie, and uh, it really dawned on me that I had to put something together. And I remember being in a restroom for 30 minutes before getting up on that platform and sharing something from the Word of God. But God started to work on me. He gave me a love for His Word. And I love to study, and now I absolutely look forward to every time I get to preach. I'm excited. I look forward to I can't wait till tonight. We'll be in the tabernacle. We have a PowerPoint. You'll learn about the tabernacle. I love it. But God had to do that here. Because I, I was I was like in between Moses and and in between inexperience and inability. In fact, I, I could have said maybe I should have said insanity. I, I couldn't say inability or insecurity. I could, I could have said insanity. But you know what? There's no excuse for us. All of us are called to preach the gospel. We're not all called to be pastors, but every one of you is to preach the gospel. And the only thing we can plead is insanity. Because it's so clear in Scripture that God wants us to share the gospel with other people. He says it over and over and over again. The Great Commission is given five times. The four gospels in the book of Acts. So all we can say is insanity because we don't have an excuse. We know how simple the message is, right? Can you not tell someone Jesus died on the cross for their sins? We don't have to do what Jeremiah did and prophesy the destruction. We don't have to lay down on our side like Ezekiel for 390 days on his left side and prophesy destruction. But we have to predict that Jesus Christ is coming again and you'd better be ready. And we had better share the truth of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ died and was buried and rose again. Look at the plan in verse 7. But, oh, that we're never getting a budding contest with God. The Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go, thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatever I command thee, thou shalt speak. You know what the gospel says in Matthew 28, that we're given all authority. Acts 1a, all power. That's the word dynamite. But in in, in Matthew 28, it's the word authority. God's empowered you because His Holy Spirit lives in you. And God's, God's given you the authority to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. All power and all authority, you have it. You have it. There's no excuse for not witnessing. And so He tells him, I'll tell you where to go and what to say. And He tells us, to go everywhere, and he tells us what to say. Preach the gospel. Repentance and faith must be preached to all men everywhere. And then notice the protection he promises in verses 8. Verse 8, he says, Be not afraid of their faces. That's kind of a scary, scary thought, isn't it? They're not going to be smiling on you, Jeremiah. Don't be afraid of their faces. I am with thee. To deliver thee, I'm with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. That's a pretty good promise coming from God. He says, I'm with thee, don't be afraid of them. Verse 17, he says to them, as he dropped down to verse 17, Thou therefore gird up thy loins and arise and speak unto them all that I command thee. Be not dismayed. Be not dismayed at their faces. 
He says, lest I confound thee before them. The word confound means to break, break thee down. In other words, God says, don't be afraid of their faces. Tell them what you're supposed to tell them. Preach my word. If not, I'll deal with you. It's kind of a scary thought, Jeremiah. You're going to do what you're told, or I'm going to confound you, is the Hebrew word means to break you down. God has a way of humbling us to get us to do what he wants. Did you know you won't continue in sin all your life? God will chasten you and break you from it. He said he doesn't like his children continuing in sin. Jeremiah could not rebel. He could not resist the call of God. He had to do what he was called to do. Look at verse 18. Also continuing on this idea of protection. He says in verse 18, I made thee this day a defense city. You remember those walled cities? You go to Israel, you get to see some of those walls. It's some great places and they'll have remaining portions of walls and you're like, wow, that, that's a really wide wall. And then they tell me that the walls in Nineveh and some of those places were 40 feet wide. Jericho, they're just eight feet wide. And there's some cities and they'd have ramps and chariots would go up and they'd have these massive walls and gates around the cities and they'd have water underneath the city like Hezekiah's tunnel in Jerusalem and they'd have all these, these protections, these lookouts, these you know, towers. And you just felt so safe. He says, that's Jeremiah, that's what I'm going to do with you. I'm going to make you feel safe like a, a fortress. And you know, God can do that because he is a mighty fortress. And so he would make Jeremiah feel safe. He said, I'm going to take care of you. Then in verse 9, the Bible says, The Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. Remember what he said to Isaiah? Isaiah said, woe is me, I'm undone. And God took a hot coal, put it on his lips. Here, God touched his mouth and said, I'm going to tell you exactly what to say. Now look at 2 Peter chapter 1. It's important that I say a word on this direct revelation or, or this, this idea of God telling him exactly what to say. It's 2 Peter chapter 1. You know, when I preach to you, 2 Peter 1, 21, when I preach to you, I pray and I pray and pray, but my words are not exactly word for word from God. Even though I've prayed about it, I'm not what you call inspired. Okay? I can mess up pretty bad. You've heard me ruin the English language at times. I, years ago, I preached in Okinawa and I had an English professor and he would always come up and say, you know, you do pretty good with the English language when you don't try to do so good. Just forget it, Brother Dan, just preach. And, uh, you know, I've I, I butchered the English language. I've preached some of the worst sermons known to man. <laughs> My words are not inspired, okay? You know that. And look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, because Jeremiah's words were inspired. For the Scripture came not in holy time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The word inspired in 2 Timothy 3 means God breathed. So God breathed on Jeremiah, this holy man, and told him exactly what to say. No man today can say he's experienced that. In fact, when someone comes up and asks me, is my Bible translation inspired? I always realize right away they do not understand the doctrine of inspiration. God breathed on men. Who were these men? Well, there were 40 of them. Jeremiah was one of the 40. Matthew, Mark, 
Luke, and John were inspired of God, told what to write. Sometimes they'd get a vision, and other times they'd get a dream. But that's what inspiration is. These men of old, God breathing on them and telling them exactly what to write. Now, I'm thankful for Bible translations, but my point is this. Inspiration is God breathing. And here he breathed on Jeremiah and said, I'm going to give you exactly what to say. Could you imagine that? Just, and God takes over. I, I've known people that could talk a lot. I, I knew a man who could talk about 40 words a minute. I knew a woman that could gush up to about 300 words a minute. No, I'm just kidding. It's people always pick on women talking so much. But, uh, you know, that's not it. It's God totally breathing on you and you saying exactly what you're supposed to say. That was inspiration. Or writing exactly what God told you to write. Could you imagine that? It doesn't happen today. You understand that. It ceased with John in the Isle of Patmos. You understand that, right? John's the last guy who was inspired. But I thank God that he preserves the word for us, and we're thankful to have it. But he says here, I will tell you in verse 9 and 10, I'll tell you exactly, exactly what to say. He says, I'll I'll, I'll tell you word for word. Then in verses 9 and 10, we know, he tells them what he's going to say. Look at verse 10. And he's, he's saying what he's going to say to the nations. He, he says here, I, I'm, going to, I'm, going to have, I, I'm going to have you to root out. That word root out can mean keep down or pluck, keep down. He said you're going to keep down, you're going to pull down, you're going to destroy, meaning you're going to tear down, you're going to throw down. I mean, he's just going to pronounce a judgment on Israel that's just all about God tearing down and destroying everything. Why? Why would God do this? Why would God do this? Well, he says in verse 11 and 12, I'm going to perform it. I will hasten my word to perform it, verses 11 and 12. You're prophesying something that's already set into motion. I mean, at the end of this prophecy, Nebuchadnezzar is already outside of the city. And and it's, 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 it's all because of their sin. I'm going to perform it. Why? Why was God going to bring all this upon Israel? In fact, verses 13 to 16 talk about uh, how God is going to destroy them and bring evil and wickedness to just destroy them. Why? Look at verse 16. Here's why. I will utter my judgments against them, torching all their wickedness, who have forsaken me and have burned incenses unto other gods and worshiped the works of their own hands. Sounds just like America. We worship the works of our own hands. Aren't cell phones great? I I mean, all these people, we brag on how brilliant they are and how smart they are and all all the innovations and all the, you know, the Bible says in the last days there'll be increase in knowledge, so it's just a fulfillment of prophecy. But think of everything in the last hundred years. The Wright brothers, brilliant, to teach us how to fly. And we've been to the moon, and now we're looking for life on on other planets. You know what the Bible says? The earth hath he made for children, the children of men. There's not life on other planets. You say, Brother Dan, what about, are there aliens out there in space? What are they seeing? I, I, they could be seeing demons. They can appear as, 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 as men, and they can certainly move about. They move to and fro as Satan does. But I'll tell you this, there's not some race on another planet uh, waiting to take over. 
And if you're worried about that and you're worried about global warming, you need to look for the re- return of Jesus Christ. The rapture is going to take place. We don't have to worry about that stuff. The only life out there besides human life is demonic life or angelic life. And, and so we know that we know that God is angry because mankind has fallen in love with their own works. We love to lift people up and all oh, this great person. You know, I, I, anybody without the Lord Jesus needs compassion and mercy, not praise. And, and the day is coming where God's going to judge. Back to verse one. Back to verse one. Excuse me, back to chapter 1, verse 5, excuse me. Before I formed thee, he said, I knew thee. I sanctified thee. I ordained thee. God was in control since Jeremiah was a baby, and he's still in control today. This is, he, 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 as Daniel said, he rules over the kingdom of men. Did you know God's in control of China? And God's in control of Russia. You say, then why doesn't he just, just deal with them? He will one day. Every knee one day will bow. Did you know that? Every knee will bow. All the skeptics, all the Chinese, and there's a lot of Christians in China who are already bowing. And the Russians, and my sister's a missionary in Russia. There's a lot of Christians in Russia. They're already bowing. But one day, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But it'll be too late for those that reject him. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, you better trust him before it's too late. You don't know that you have tomorrow. You don't know that you have a few more hours. Now you may. Only God knows. But you better know him, the Lord Jesus. And he says in verse 12, I will perform. And then in finally in verse 19, I like verse 19. He says, and they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee. And notice what he says. For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to deliver thee. Did you know God's with you? No matter how bad it gets, he's with you. You say, oh, the pain I'm going through, he's with you. He'll help you through that. Even though you go through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have anything to fear. He's with you. He's with you. He's going to take care of you. If you're his child, you're always held in the palm of his hand. No matter what you're going through in your loneliness, he's with you. And you're in him because he's God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word today. Lord, thank you for a warning to Jerusalem before you destroyed, and you've given sufficient warning to our country. And Lord, I I hope the rapture takes place, but God, between now and then, I pray for revival. And that we won't try to fight and win a political battle, but we'll try to win souls to Jesus Christ, knowing that you alone can transform lives. And you will work a metamorphosis and miracle in the hearts of men. So I pray that you use us for your kingdom and glory, for your honor. And Lord, we thank you for the church and for sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. Bless us now. God, if there's anybody here who's not saved, that today they'll come trust Jesus. And their altars are open for anyone who needs to come for any other reason, just to come. Bless us now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.